Welcome to the Smartest Amazon Seller Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Needham. I am a uh, seven-year Amazon seller, actually hitting eight years now. And I am always trying to figure out what it is to become a better seller and pass along that information to you. And I am sometimes uh, overconfident in my own ability. And so what I do is I bring on really smart people that have been in the industry as well and also uh, bring a lot to the table and I bring them on the podcast. And today I have someone that is actually one of the first people to inspire me around Amazon education. So I have Larry Labarsky. Many people know him as Watch Me Amazon. He has launched a the, whole, the Wholesale Academy and you know he has an Instagram that is both inspiring, funny, and personable. So Larry, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. What is up, Scott? It is my absolute pleasure to be uh, here on this call with you and recording this podcast. All right. So what a time to be a seller. It seems like every week there is something new that is, you know, during slow times would be like the news item. But um, right now with coronavirus, uh, there's so much happening with Amazon and it is kind of the moment for e-commerce where everyone is paying attention because they're buying in, in patterns that like has never happened before. And this is worldwide. Um, and so how has your business adapted to current, you know, conditions? What a time to be alive, right? Um, I think the craziest part about the coronavirus and how it affects Amazon sellers is over the last month, just the wide range of mixed emotions that we, you know, that we feel about a month ago when Amazon announced that they were pumping the brakes on inbound FBA shipments. Like, you know, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of uncertainty, um, there's not knowing when or if your business is going to recover, and there's just a lot of hurdles to jump over. Um, as we were talking before we started recording, we operate Amazon businesses in multiple um, Amazon marketplaces. We sell in Europe, we sell in the U.S., and our U.S. and European storefronts are quite different. So I would say initially in the first month of you know the coronavirus and its effect on Amazon sellers, our U.S. business was down about 50%. Um, our UK business was up in sales about 75%. And there's just a, you know, a ton of different hurdles that we had to um, jump through. Everything from not being able to ship products to Amazon um, FBA, um, from exporting products into Europe, our price of you know shipping cargo from here to there um, almost went up 4x, 5x overnight. And even though sales were through the roof and our products are essential in Europe and, you know, we just wanted to pump Amazon full of inventory, um, our shipper came back to us and said that, you know, your cost is about four or five X right now with um, all flights and, you know, all commercial flights being canceled and all that kind of stuff. So just dealing with one thing after another. Um, as we're recording this podcast, Amazon has kind of loosened up restrictions as to what we can send in. Um, and thankfully, about 95% of our catalog has opened back up. So I'm very thankful for that. But you know, really, the one thing that I can say is those first couple of weeks, there was just a bunch of uncertainty. Um, I know a lot of people pivoted to FBM. It didn't really work out that way for us because we can't really do FBM as the U.S. seller in Europe and just the type of products that we sell in the U.S. Um, and where we ship them from. Our manufacturer ships them to, to Amazon. They're a little bit on the heavier side. FBM 
um, really didn't make sense for us. But, you know, just pivoting and figuring out and doing whatever needs to be done to keep the business afloat and, you know, keep yeah. the sales coming in. That's the, uh, that's the only thing you can do. Just roll with the punches. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's it. Like there were some things that we did just to float, you know, our businesses through this, ride it out. And then there were some things that we did to take advantage of an opportunity. It, it's truthfully hard to take complete advantage of uh, this, this situation uh, because, you know, our, the state where our warehouse is has a shelter in place order. And that means, you know, uh, we have employees with uh, their kids at home and, uh, we, we're, we're just not at full capacity, even though we have the inventory. And so with our FBM, um, even though we were sending, shipping maybe 500 to 1,000 units, it's so labor intensive that it's, hard, it's, it's just harder to make that business. And uh, I'm still all in on FBA. That is our business. It is, it's a very scalable business. It's, it's where it takes you know, a few employees, or just your time and you can 10x that because you could if you ship a pallet into Amazon, that's it. That's all you have to do. That, that your labor for the, for that entire pallet is done. If you have to do that FBM, think about you know your packaging, every single unit individually. So while FBM is a great uh, way to uh, pivot your business, I'm not convinced it's like the long-term uh, best way to, to, to scale. Um, you, so when people, when, when people say pivot, you have to pivot into what's working at the moment. And there yep. was a period in time during the beginning of the whole coronavirus and its effect on Amazon, where it would make substantial sense to pivot to FBM that, you know, those initial first couple of weeks, that initial first month, but Amazon is already you know, yep. opening the floodgates back up to FBA. Um, I don't think this is going to be a permanent change. I think within the next month or two or three, you know, at the most, I would say everything's going to be back to normal. So, yep. you know, a pivot could be temporary, but I don't really think anyone is trying to pivot away from FBA yep. for a long-term sustainable business. No, absolutely. Um, you did mention that, like, you know, some products uh, sell through really, really well. I mean, like, I mean, you just stock out, too quickly. And uh, one way that people have always talked about uh, to slow down those sales is just to change the price. And um, margins for us, I, I'll be honest, they're up uh, just because uh, for all the many reasons, one of them is we just have a repricer that just gives a, a you know, a band, a floor and a ceiling price. You know, we go from like 20% margin to 40% margin. Well, when everyone stocks out, we go to 40% margin. And, um, but, you know, Amazon is the overcorrecting type. When they see uh, that this has turned into a price gouging moment, they really locked down hard on, uh, price gouging and it's not always clear what is and what is not there's different definitions out there but um just this last weekend our account uh was hit with a a notice saying that like we have to submit a plan of action or we're suspended in 72 hours so uh a very serious thing and it's forced us to uh just be more proactive in this um, have you had any uh, scares regarding uh, pricing or have you made any adjustments? So I haven't had any scares regarding um, price gouging. You know, we have a lot of products that are 
get the fixed price alert where Amazon thinks their price might be too high and they temporarily deactivate the system. But I haven't had anything in terms of a scare or an accusation of price gouging from Amazon. And I think mostly the reason for that is the way we set our, we also use a repricer and it's the way we set our maximum pricing on our SKUs. Some people just like to automate it and set, you know, your high price, your maximum price at give me a hundred percent margin, give me a 200% return or whatever it is. But we, every time we set a maximum price on a SKU, we actually go on the listing. We look at the Keepa chart. We look at the product's history and we set a maximum price that, you know, look back at like the last year and we set a maximum price that's realistic for that particular product. So, you know, looking back at a product's history for the last year, if the highest that product has ever been while retaining some sales and a decent sales rank has been 25 bucks, we're not going to set a maximum price for that product at 40 bucks, even though it would double or triple the margin or whatever. So when we're setting those maximum prices, we want to make sure we look at the highest that product has ever been um, without really killing the rank. And that's where we'll come in Mm -hmm. and place our maximum price. So it's it's kind of realistic. Um, And you like see when examining a, you know, a history, a product's history on Keepa, you'll see, you know, that the product's average price is, you know, 25 bucks, for example. And there was a little moment in time where the product was at 40, but at 40, the rank completely went to crap. So we're not going to go ahead and set our maximum for that product at 40. We're going to set it for the maximum the product's been trading at over the last year while retaining some of that rank. Um, and I think that's pretty much what helped us avoid a lot of those type of issues. Yeah, no, that's smart. It, it is the average historical selling price that is one of the metrics that they look at. Um, that's really good advice. You know, be very conscious of your maximum prices if you're using a repricer. We've had to do that. One other thing that uh, after this last weekend that we're going to focus on is as soon as you get uh, something, a, pr- a price alert, or um, even if you get one of those notices on your account health page about a, a they call it a, I think it's just a listing violation, is react to it fast. I don't think we would be in this, this space right now, but a few of them that we, we, we slept on for you know, only a week, and mm-hmm. I mean, because we get like 10 a week uh, for just for this uh, type, and we slept on three of them, and that's what, those are the three that we have to address in our plan of action. And so. It's, it's funny that you say that because one of the things that I actually learned from you, and I think it's something that I heard you mention in a previous podcast, is that Amazon really wants to see sellers being proactive with dealing with any issues on their Amazon account, whether it's a listing violation, a restricted product, a, you know, an IP complaint. Amazon just wants to see that you're taking action and working on something right away. And they, they just want to see that you're a type of company, a type of seller that yep. puts in that effort to deal with all of these issues right away. And uh, yeah, it sucks that you slept on it, but Amazon is, uh, you know, it's that kind of beast. You, uh, Absolutely. you know, don't, pay, I mean, don't pay attention to something for a couple of days and they'll clip you. Right. I mean, think from their perspective, they have, you know, tens of thousands of sellers. They don't know which ones uh, know the policies and don't. Sometimes they have no idea if you know that, uh, if you've even read one notice about price gouging. And so that's why like in our plan of action, you kind of have to like acknowledge some sort of like simple basic things like, hey, we violated, the, we, we acknowledge that we violated this policy in these ways. 
Um, but so, to be fair, you know, uh, on the other hand, they don't really give much guidance in the beginning. They were clipping people for price gouging yeah, and they gave yeah. absolutely no guidance whatsoever as to what they want you to do or how they want you to price or what's even considered price gouging. Yep. They definitely, the first two or three weeks, I'm so glad that we didn't get caught up in that. They didn't know what they were doing. There was a lot of, uh, uh, back and forth and not a great time to be suspended or to have uh, them look at you. I think now that they're, they're um, a little bit more matured in what price gouging means to them and how they're looking at it and how we re- are responding. We, you know, we, we, we show them, we give them our invoices of our wholesale costs and like what margins that we are ser- searching for and what we have to sell the product for. Um, so to pick, to pick your brain a little bit when, because like I said, I, I haven't personally dealt with any price gouging specific issues on Amazon. So when you're addressing those issues, you know, if, if you don't want to share too much, that's oh, no, fine. No, it's fine. Go for it. When, when you're addressing those plan of actions for those price gouging issues, what are you pointing out to Amazon? Are you like saying so, the margin that we're going after? Or are you, are you telling them the history of the yeah. price and that you're within range of where the product's been trading? So I spent four days now where uh, someone on the account health team, um, there is this different team within Amazon. I think they call themselves the account health team. If you have a, a call me now button on your account health page, that's who you'll talk to. If you got that, you're in a better spot. They are... Um, they're on your side. They're not the ones that um, put it down suspensions. And so I've been able to talk with them and iterate over our plan of action. Here's the specific things that they were looking for. One is an acknowledgement um, and of like what you've done, why it was there, you know, your root causes of why you were priced higher. And ours was that we said that we were pricing up to 40% margins and and then we acknowledge that that was too high. And so we tell them that we are reducing the price to this. And here is why, you know, we should, you're, you're letting, you're letting them know that the margin is too high or you're letting them know that the, um, you know, the, the product has never been trading that high before. This is higher than the product has been over the last year. You know, I don't, uh, I, I do, we don't talk about uh, how it was trending. We just say what we are doing and saying right. why, like, um, you know, a breakdown of the fees and like invoices showing your wholesale cost and the FBA fees. I actually, you know, I posted a screenshot of the FBA calculator saying, we're going to target this margin. That means we have to be at this price. And then just several steps of uh, correct uh, preventative action. They always wanted uh, you to focus a lot on like, so like this will never happen again. And sometimes you actually are already implementing a lot of preventative things. For example, like what you were saying about looking at the historic price, that is preventative. They don't know that you do that. So, the, so some of your best practices um, you may already be doing. And um, you just say that in your, in your uh, plan of action. Just say everything that you do that is the best because they don't know what you do. Right. And I, I, I mean, I have done this. I don't know if I recommend it, but like, you know, I have repeated f- phrases and sentences of things that we do and plans of actions. Like we've been doing this for, you know, four or five years. Um, some of the things that we're doing four or five years ago are still applicable today. And 
just because you've said it once doesn't mean you you can't say it again. Just say all your 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 things that you are doing, because it will make that plan of action sound the most complete. Makes sense. So I mean, assume that the person that's reading your plan of action hasn't read your entire history of plan you know plans. So you know, every single one of them, you should be giving your best uh, you know uh, tactics. Well, I mean, this is something that, like we can talk about forever, but I wanted to hit, while I got Larry this one time, I wanted to hit a few other things that I have learned from him Let's and that I know that he is, is really good at. Um, for example, this is a very si simple one, but um, he talks a lot about negotiating discounts and um, how, you know, one price that you see may not be the price that you can buy it for. You know, if you... Uh, so he, here's what I, he did, had a video where he talked about this, where you give someone a purchase order. You're like, okay, if this is, if these are your, you know, during your regular prices, we're going to order this and it's going to be $1,500. Well, if you guys give us a 10% discount, we will order this much more. And you know, the, the, the invoice or sorry, the, the purchase order will be $3,000. So you can dangle a bigger um, purchase order if you get a better price. I think that was brilliant in that it, 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 it's, it's better than, it's, it's kind of like when you go up to a negotiation and you, you just like lay all your cards on the table and they get to choose which one's best for them. If they want more money, if they want a bigger PO, then they can get that. But if, or if they're more strict on their, their pricing, they can, they can choose that. Um, what have you, what have you found to be the most successful in negotiating, you know, discounts with vendors? So there's no secret answer, but like, um, you know, just in the business that we're in money talks. So, yeah. and, and, you know, not everyone can play that game. Obviously you're going to have more room to negotiate if you're looking to place a $50,000 purchase order versus a $5,000 purchase order. So really at the end of the day, um, money does talk and the more a customer is going to buy, the better your chances are of um, getting a negotiation. But one of the things that I like to do when we're in the um, in the infancy stages of opening an account and we're speaking to you know a manager at the company or a sales rep, I like to frame the whole relationship by explaining to them um, the way my business works and the way my business works and the way your business thought works is we want to buy a lot. We want to buy as much as humanly possible, but it's not up to us. It's really up to them. The better pricing that they're going to give us, the more stuff we're going to buy, the more SKUs, the more volume, the more quantity, the more everything. So I like to you know, frame and set up my relationship with every vendor that we speak to. Uh, just by letting them know how my business operates. And, you know, it's going to be a pleasure doing business with you. But just so you know, the better discounts, the better pricing you give me, the more I'm going to be able to buy from you. Um, I also like to ask vendors when I'm in that opening account process, you know, give me a ballpark, a rough idea. If I'm a good customer, if I'm doing a lot of business, you know, what's the typical discount I can expect to see from, you know, if we're doing large POs, um, a lot of times you'll get an answer like, oh, I don't know. It really all depends. And then, then I'll just throw something out there. You know, is it safe for me to assume 5%, 10%, just ballpark. And even if they give me like a ballpark answer, like, yeah, 5, 10%, that sounds doable. I'll take their wholesale catalog and I'll, you know, I'll scan it or I'll go through it using that 5% or that 10% off. And 
I'm trying to get, have them give me a ballpark because I want to scan their catalog using that ballpark. If they give me their catalog and I scan it with the prices as is, I'm going to get X amount of returns. But even if they don't tell me anything and I just make up a 5% discount or a 10% discount and rescan that catalog with my you know, scanning software, I'm going to get a lot more hits. I'm going to get a lot more SKUs that now start to make sense. Um, and that's one way I go about it. And, you know, as you spoke um, in reference to giving the two POs, here's what I would like to buy at the current prices. But if you give me 10% off, here's what I would then buy. Um, and another good tip that I can give the listeners is a lot of times in the beginning, either money talks or just having a good long-term relationship with that supplier works. You know, aside from those two things, there may not be um, any secret words that you can tell them. There might not be a shortcut. So in the beginning, a good thing that people should also know is don't take the discount if there isn't one. You know, the margins might not be great. Buy the products anyway and just build that relationship over time. And then maybe when you ask for a discount six months from now, a year from now, you have a much better, friendly, closer relationship with that person. Your chances of getting that discount probably go up exponentially. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, it right now um, with coronavirus, we definitely lean into relationships. Everything that you just said was is totally true for us. And and I'll say, I'm I'm sorry to cut you off, but I'll say one other thing. I try to make it a point um, as being the head of my business to meet with sales reps and with, you know, top people as companies as often as possible. And um, I've done things like taking people to lunch, you know, taking someone to a strip club, um, send everyone a nice bottle of champagne, Christmas, Christmas cards, um, Amazon gift cards, really, you know, emphasizing on building that relationship and schmoozing that lead to build a more friendly relationship. Because if the guy's your buddy, if the guy's your friend, you're going to get more preferential treatment than someone who is just a customer with that supplier. So yeah, everything that you said, I can get behind. Um, Here's an example. Uh, So, um, you know, there's some products that are high demand right now. Um, This uh, podcast isn't going to go live for a few weeks. So I'll share what we've worked on the last month is actually puzzles. And, you know, as a category, it's, it's having a moment and we get to the front of the line because we're buying more. We're buying uh, deep. And so we've had some reps call us and say like, hey, like, you know, for some reason, you guys were pushed to the front of the line of, of these, these purchase orders um, because money is talking. And then as well, it's one thing just to like, you know, set up a, an account and like send them an email. But like, if you're able to call them right now, you need to know what's their availability? Are they filling, uh, you know, these POs? Are they able, are they stocked out? Do they even have employees in their warehouse? You know, one uh, puzzle company, uh, Buffalo, they're in Buffalo, New York, and New York is just in lockdown. I say this company because you can't buy from from them right now. As we're filming this podcast, I had literally today two people message me on Instagram, ask me about Buffalo games. And if I know where they can get an invoice to get ungated in Buffalo games, that literally happened within the last 24 hours. Two, pe- two people mentioned specifically well, Buffalo to me. Well, it's the thing is, is 
they are a brand that's aligned with Amazon retail. They, they have a lot of, you know, Amazon presence and now Amazon stocked out. That's probably what's creating a ton of interest is because people see it's an opportunity right now. If you have their products, you're going to do well, but that, that may not be an evergreen status as, you know, as say New York in weeks to come uh, loosens up and Amazon's able to uh, get on top of it. They'll order deep and, um, in our experience, you know, buying against Amazon is a, is a very risky game um, that can get you burned. Um, so very interesting that y- you have also seen that company. Um, we, we've we we got a hold of their uh, owner, and you know they were they were shut down for a few more weeks. So good luck. You know, one of the things in regards to what you just said and what I just said in regards to the relationship right now the whole entire country, the whole entire world is going through a shared experience and being affected by coronavirus. Everyone's on lockdown. Everyone's family is quarantined and sheltering in place. And I'm finding it so much easier to open accounts with wholesale suppliers right now, more so than you know ever in the last eight, uh, eight years of me being on Amazon. And I think the reason for that is when everyone is going through a shared experience, it's a lot easier to really bond and connect with someone in a real way, in a human way. When you're calling yeah. that person and you're asking them, how, how have you been affected by the coronavirus? How's your family doing? How's your city doing? You're, you're really connecting to people on a visceral level versus just before the coronavirus, you're calling and you're saying, hey, I'd like to open an account. The you know Brands and you know, the people who are picking up the phone and you know, the, 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 the sales reps and all those kind of people, they are so much more receptive to us right now. Um, and it's just an easier time to build relationship with vendors and with reps um, because everyone is you know, having this same shared experience. So when you know, anyone is out there, if you're prospecting for new accounts, if you're calling vendors, don't just be another customer to them, but build that relationship, have that conversation, ask them how they're doing personally, how have they been handling you know, the coronavirus, how has their company been affected? Like you said, how is their warehouse been affected? How has their warehouse you know, staff and operations been affected? And it's just people will open up and everyone's you know, using yeah. the shared experience and everyone's bonding and we're having the best time opening accounts right now more than ever. And on top of that, I think some of these vendors who in the past are very anti-Amazon sellers, like the stance used to always be, oh, you're an Amazon seller, screw you, we don't wanna work with you. But I think now so many people are realizing just how important e-commerce sellers and Amazon sellers are um, you know, to the whole world's economy because every one of their brick and mortar accounts for the most part is yep. closed down. Everyone is closed down and e-commerce and Amazon are the only people um, pretty much keeping the world running at this yeah. point. I know a, a company that was just like signing all these contracts with Nordstrom's and uh, doing a lot of things with their product line. And those have all just like washed away. The only thing that's working for them right now is Amazon. It's the only like, right. bright star. And so, you know, for a lot of accounts that you may be looking to open, uh, now is a unique time. And uh, they may have a lot of dried up uh, sources of revenue. And if you're ready to like, give them money, like there's some people very desperate. Yeah. So, you know. They are ready to take it. It's a, a very unique time to like strategize your business right now. Um, Larry's done one thing that I wanted to ask him about is that he has really succeeded, you know, overseas. 
and doing, um, you know, the FBA model in different marketplaces. You know, Amazon now has uh, probably about 15 different uh, uh, marketplaces and they even open up, they're opening up a few more in the European region. Maybe they're small now, but I uh, have reasons to see the upside in them as, you know, an experienced seller in the U.S., you're going to jump in these fledgling markets that don't really know um, how things run. And uh, specifically, they don't know how amazing FBA is. And sometimes they may not even have products that you can give them being in the U.S. or, uh, you know, from one country to another, there is demand for products. And if you're able to give someone that product in a local uh, FBA center, it's just, it's, it's an easy, it's an easy purchase for them. So uh, I have had zero, it's like almost like no success with um, Amazon overseas from our own selling account. We've actually managed uh, brands in the UK, but never done, um, well, to what extent did you actually? To what extent did you actually try? Did you put a couple of pallets on a plane and try to ship nope. them to European nope. fulfillment centers? And every time that I tried, everyone around me said it wasn't worth it. Um, uh-huh. And I just know that it is. Like I know that there's opportunities. Um, so what uh, started you down that path? And like, what were like some of the lessons? You know, I always get. I just hate like dealing with the VAT tax and. Um, or, you know, export, all these hoops. Right. So um, I can't say that starting in Europe was a tactical decision because it was kind of just uh, thrown on my laps. So when I started selling on Amazon in the very, very beginning, I used to work for someone who had a successful U.S. business. Um, They were looking to expand into Europe. They basically said, hey, I'm looking for someone to run my European Amazon business for me. Here's how it works. Here's the FBA calculator. Here's the concept. You sell it for Amazon over there. Here's how you calculate the products. You know, here's my uh, list of all the products that we have access to. Let's see if you can make it work. They threw it in my laps. I made it work. And that's kind of how I got started selling in the European marketplaces. It wasn't a tactical decision. Um, but that being said, thank God I did because there are a lot of benefits to selling in Europe versus selling in the US. Um, number one is probably going to be that the market over there has far fewer headaches and problems um, that we have here domestically in the States. So, you know, IP complaints, brand owners acting like jerks, all that kind of stuff. It exists over there as well, but much less than it exists over here. Over here, there are typically very small margins competition over there. There are typically better margins, much less competition, um, much less people doing Amazon FBA than over here. So it's kind of like a untapped marketplace, especially when I started going back to eight years ago. And the number one thing that we have in our favor, and it wouldn't work vice versa for someone trying from Europe to sell in the US, but their currencies are worth, are more valuable than our US dollar. So we're buying products using dollars, and we're selling products in pounds, and there's something like a 24 to a 25% net margin just converting a dollar into a pound without everything, you know, not yep. taking into account any profit or anything else. So those were the main reasons why I liked it. And, you know, just as someone who sells um, essentials and like the general health, beauty, grocery, all those type of, you know, typical, very common products, um, we found 
that a, a vast majority of the stuff that we sell over there in the U.S. makes virtually little to nothing over here. Very, very slim margins. Most of these products either are break-even or taking a loss or making a you know, 50 cent, 25 cent net profit if we were to sell them in the U.S., whereas in Europe, you can find a lot of a lot more products in your catalog that are actually going to make sense and be profitable. Um, I will add an addendum to all of that, stating that you know because of the shipping costs and you know shipping um, pallets and containers and whatnot from U.S. into Europe, the whole business model only makes sense if someone's willing to do it at scale and if someone's willing to ship at least you know multiple 5 10 15 20 pallets at a clip because otherwise if you're sell you know can't do it sending small parcels shipping's going to eat away any margin that you have um, sending one or two pallets by itself that's not going to make sense either but if you can ship at scale the shipping gets cheap enough to where everything else starts to make sense Interesting. Yeah. No, you definitely like the devil's in the details with shipping. You got to, you, you can't just like see one price and assume that, you know, you can get it over there for the same. Um, you know, I, I tell me if you do this, I'm, I've always been aware of the pan European program where, you know, you, you have your products in, in UK and then you can list it in say Germany, which is another very large marketplace. I, do you do that? We do, um, but you shouldn't, one shouldn't do that right away in the beginning. You should only do that when you scale to multiple thousand units sold per month. Um, and Amazon in Europe has a different program called EFN, European Fulfillment Network. So you can ship everything into Amazon UK um, and you can still cross list your inventory in Germany, in France, in Italy, in Spain, in all those markets. And when someone buys your offer on Amazon Germany, for example, uh, Amazon UK is going to ship it to the German Fulfillment Center and the German Fulfillment Center is then going to pass it on to the client. And there's a fee associated with that. It's typically you know, anywhere between two to three pounds or euros and you can price accordingly. So you can build that in to price. Um, but when you're moving enough volume to where it makes sense to do the PanEU, because for PanEU, you have to register for VAT in seven different countries. You have to file and pay VAT in seven different countries. You have to, and you know, some of them you file every three months, some of them you file every month. There's a lot that, you know, a lot of complexities and costs that come with that. But it's basically just a calculation. If you're going to be saving more on your EFN fees than you would what you're paying for all those VAT fees by doing the PANEU program, then it starts to make sense. If you've never really sold a lot of units in Europe, it doesn't make sense to do the PAN-EU right away because right off the bat, you're just going to get hit with you know seven different filings, a lot of um, upkeep and a lot of work to do. So you get to a certain level where you're selling a lot, then you switch over to PAN-EU. And um, PAN-EU, phenomenal. Once we got there and you know there's a lot of work to get into that program to actually file and apply and get approved in all the different countries. But pan EU has been a huge boost to our European business. Interesting. Yeah. I did know there were two different programs, the uh, European fulfillment network and then the pan EU. That's so you recommend starting with the European fulfillment network, the EFN, and then building out from there. Um, unless you know you're just gonna, unless you know you're just gonna do a lot of a lot of volume from day one, then it might make sense. But the the main difference in why paying you eventually, you know, if it makes sense to pay all those fees eventually, why 
do is better because if you have all of your inventory in the UK and you're using EFN and your EFN offers appear, offer appears on Amazon Germany, for example, you're not going to have two-day prime shipping. You're going to have the prime badge and it's gonna, you're also going to have the notice that this product might require an additional two to three days for you to receive in addition to the two-day prime. So it's going to affect your buy box in those places. Plus, when you're adding the European when you're adding the EFN fee on top of your price, like automatically, Amazon has like a little, you know, algorithm price that converts your UK pricing into European pricing. That extra two, three dollar EF fee, it's going to make your offers less competitive than they would be in the other marketplaces. So you're going to lose that buy box share as well. Um, but when you do pan EU, um, there are no fees. You're paying the same fee to sell in you know, Germany or Italy or Spain as you would in the UK. You get that two-day prime badge everywhere. And then you just open up this you know, monster of a marketplace selling in all the European um, countries. And it's been phenomenal. Yep. Well, uh, hopefully I'm giving away, I'm giving away too much. I'm, I'm expecting a lot of competition to join me in the European marketplace. Well, you know, there are listeners here to my podcast that I know that listen that are in the UK. And so hopefully they're not getting scared right now. This is the first, you know, time that we're lasering in on them. But I mean, the, the, the truth is, is, um, Amazon is a huge ocean. And yes. no single person is your competitor. If I look at Etels, you know, they're the, one of the largest Amazon sellers. And I think that they're our competitor. We only compete against them on 5% of our SKUs. Like, That's right. yeah, they are a competitor, but like head to head, not really. It's kind of like the ocean of the marketplace that is your competitor. And um, I just see it as like, a, as, as like the, the opportunity of e-commerce and Amazon in general. Um, one thing that's like scared me from any of these, uh, you know, uh, opportunities in foreign marketplaces is I deal with a lot of SKUs and I don't want to deal with, you know, how to get them through customs for each individual product. How do, if I'm like looking to like, you know, export a product into, uh, you know, into Germany, like what do I need to do? So, this is the advice that I give to anyone when they ask me technical questions like that, or when they ask me an accounting question, or when they ask any sort of question that requires a professional. I what I do in my business, I am not a you know export pro. I am not a customs pro. We hire a you know a freight order. We have a customs broker for us. We have a um, compliance officer that oversees and answers all of those things for us and makes sure that we can um, do everything and stay compliant. So when people you know need help, my honest advice is don't try to figure these things out yourself. You're not in the yep. uh, you know you don't want to be a you know a, a customs broker for a living. Hire someone who knows what they're talking about, who's a pro, who knows the ins and outs, and they'll walk you through all of that kind yep. of stuff. It's the same thing when someone asks me like about accounting, you know, whether you're a seasoned seller or whether you're a new seller, hire an accountant. There's no reason for someone to be sitting there and, you know, doing all the VAT filings themselves or, you know, figure crunching all the numbers themselves. Hire a pro. Um, there are plenty of companies out there that have the answers to those questions like what can we ship out? What should we ship out? How should our commercial invoices look? Um, and just hire a pro and then it makes your job yep. and your life, um, you know, a lot easier. 
Well, and it may only be just what you just said is sometimes people are asking the questions. They don't even know that there are services out there that just kind of like take this in their own hands. You know, just hearing the word customs broker. Oh, like I could just Google that. I could, you know, talk to my friends if they know someone. Uh, chances are you're not too far away from someone that, that does this, you know. Um, I mean, I have worked with a few over the years. I, I had a broker on the podcast, but that was a specifically uh, more, I think he, they focus on uh, China stuff and yep. watch them uh, email me now to correct me if they're listening and that they'll also do international. But um, I, uh, I fully plan if, uh, if, if I go into this route to lean into these people, maybe it costs me, you know, 25, 50 cents a unit, but it takes away the headache and it, cur- it allows me to do what I'm best at. And that's kind of, you know, analyze marketplaces, be the Amazon guy. Um, so that's very interesting. I would love to react to this and start, you know, doing things internationally quickly, but it's, it's, it's going to be a little bit tougher right now with coronavirus when, you know, a lot of shipping is under scrutiny and it's, you know, got some higher prices. So uh, you have to be very- I'll tell you, yeah, I apologize for cutting you off, but I'll tell you what happened with our um, UK account and with our European account when this whole coronavirus situation hit. So um, we sell predominantly what would be considered essential products over there. Um, coronavirus hit, everyone's, you know, panic buying toilet paper. Um, the volume is literally up 75 to 100% on all of our SKUs. Um, tons of people are stocking up, which means, you know, you have less competition. Your repricer is repricing up. Everything instantly becomes way more profitable than it was a couple of weeks ago. We think that's it. We just hit it big. You know, the demand doubled, profits doubled. Everything looks phenomenal. Amazon didn't cut these products off. We can ship, let's ship. All of a sudden, UPS tells us, well, listen, you know, all the commercial flights are grounded. And now a shipment that used to cost you 7,000 to ship 10,000 units over to Europe is now going to cost you 25,000 to ship, you know, 10,000 units over um, to Europe. So, Definitely a lot of uh, hoops that we had to uh, jump through and a lot of, uh, you know, punches that we had to uh, duck and, you know, bob and weave around with the whole Corona situation. But everything is starting to even out a little bit. And, you know, just recently, we there was a period of time where for about two and a half, three weeks, we did have to stop exporting products into Europe, um, not because we weren't able to, but only because the pricing didn't make sense. And now everything is kind of mellowing it out and we're really, you know, going full force at it. Yeah. There's a lot to consider with overseas. It's an opportunity, but like, you gotta, like, you gotta be a little bit more thought out. You can't just, you know, be the high school student, you know, right now, like I've seen like, you know, some high school students do Amazon FBA. It's that easy. Uh, overseas requires a little bit more uh, diligence, but that's why it is the opportunity that it is. So thanks for uh, sharing some of your secrets. And, uh, you know, one of the, either it's sometimes like I, I see some Amazon sellers be very private about what they do. And so I'm always happy when people just like open up and say like, Hey, here's what I do. And I'm, I'm not going to copy the exact same way. There's, it's impossible for me to, we're just different businesses and, you know, in different category segments. So um, I, I'm not too worried about, you know, when I tell people like brands that we've represented because I mean, good luck trying to 
steal them away from us. Well, um, Larry, we've covered so much and you have always uh, been very um, open, especially on social media. You've talked about your business for years. You have so much content and uh, help to people out there. Um, you did during this uh, coronavirus open up your wholesale academy, but that's not going to always be open, right? Um, no, it's something that we op- plan on opening a couple of times a year and then just close it down so I can focus on the students and new members who are in the course and kind of hold their hand and guide them through wherever they're at in their business to scalability. That's awesome. Uh, just for people that don't know, uh, just give a brief, like, let, let's talk a little bit, like, you've built this academy. It is for wholesale. It uh, helps, uh, you know, train people through the, from the start to the finish of, of how you can successfully sell on Amazon. And even more so than just give you, so the the actual course will train someone from the start to the finish. But what's really important, the real lessons, once you become a seller is, you know, having that support as you're going through the process of being a seller. So I can literally drop everything I know on someone and set them up and, you know, teach them everything I know. But the real lessons that we learn as sellers happens while we're selling on month three, on month six, on year two, on year three. As we go along, that's when you're really learning the real lessons of what it takes to succeed as a seller. And I wanted to build something that A, is going to give people the knowledge, but B, is going to um, give people a support system to guide them through their journey. So the Wholesale Academy is my course, but it's also a private mastermind consisting of everything from four and five figure sellers to you know six, seven and eight figure sellers all masterminding, all helping each other out, all, you know, guiding each other and helping each other grow. And it's the thing that I am the um, most proud of in terms of what I've been, you know, able to create with the Wholesale Academy. And it's funny, the reason I started, and you had mentioned a lot of people are very private. When I first started selling on Amazon, I was taught you're supposed to be very private. Don't tell anyone what you do. Don't tell anyone what you sell. Everything is on the low. Everything is very hush hush. And I, you know, my first three, four years in the business, that's kind of the way I was acting. Um, And then about three, four years ago, I didn't even know there was such a thing as, you know, Amazon people on social media, YouTube, Amazon, you know, Facebook groups or anything like that. And I discovered some of these Amazon Facebook groups and some of the Amazon social media people. And I've learned, you know, more in the last three years, networking with guys like yourself, with people in the various FBA groups, with various different sellers on social media. I've learned more from other sellers and from sharing what we do in the last couple of years than I've ever learned in the years prior. And I think it's really one of the most, you know, one of the most important ways to scale your business, to, you know, to grow your business, to be on the cutting edge is to network with guys like yourself. Like I've learned a ton from you, Scott, and, um, you know, anyone starting out, that's the number one way to learn is get around people who are selling um, and just communicate, engage, share what you're doing. They share what they're doing. And that's the number one way to grow and stay ahead on Amazon. Yeah. No, there's definitely a lot of value in connecting with other entrepreneurs. And, you know, the real learning does happen on the ground three, six, 12 months. That's actually the the fun learning when, I mean, when, you know, sometimes you learn that like things are successful and like you can repeat and do things. And, and so, uh, 
Very inspiring. And I've, 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 I've learned a lot from um, Larry. And so give him a follow at Watch Me Amazon and, you know, just see all that he's put out there. He's put out so much stuff. Um, thank you so much, Larry, for coming on the podcast. And um, hopefully one, you know, we'll, we'll connect again and continue to push out more content. So, so people that are selling on Amazon, you know, are just as informed as they can, as they can be. Um, if you liked this episode, please share it with others and, uh, you know, talk about the show. I, I, you know, it is probably one of the most flattering things to just be online and then someone like name drop the show either on Reddit or a Facebook group. So thank you everyone for, for helping out. And, um, that's all I've got. Uh, stay safe everyone through coronavirus and, uh, tune in next week. All right. See ya. Thank you for having me. One, two, three. This episode has been produced by LaunchPod Media.